Jake's farewell. Crusher! screamed Jake. He raced along the beach, hoping the seagull would land and he could wrestle Crusher free. But the seagull kept flying. Soon it was a dot in the sky over the ocean, heading for the horizon. When the dot had vanished and Jake couldn't shout any more, he collapsed onto the sand. His only friend was gone. He was alone, a boy on a desolate rocky island in the middle of the ocean. Just him and a bunch of sarcastic crabs. Crusher, he sobbed hoarsely. Crusher. Jake, said a voice softly. Jake. Jake opened his eyes. He blinked a few times. Mum was looking down at him. Behind her was his bedroom ceiling. He could feel Crusher's furry foot in his ear. Relief flooded through him like a tidal wave of ping-pong balls. He was in bed. He'd been asleep. It had all been a dream. You okay, love? Mum was saying. You looked like you were having a nightmare. I was, croaked Jake. It was horrible. Still blurry with sleep, he gave Crusher a hug in case Crusher had been having the same dream. Do you want to talk about it? asked Mum. Jake did, but he needed to wake up first. He squinted in the morning light pouring in through his open door. Outside he could hear the rumble of waves, the creaking of pines, the squawk of seagulls. Suddenly his warm, happy glow vanished. His inner side started aching and it wasn't just that he urgently needed to pee. It hadn't been a dream after all. The ping-pong and the seagull bits had been, but the island hadn't. The island was real. He was on it. Mum was looking at him, concerned. Jake, she said, aren't you getting a bit old to be sleeping with a teddy? Jake realised he was still hugging Crusher. Hot-faced, he pulled away. He's not a teddy, he said. He's a friend substitute. It's what kids have when they live on remote islands, hundreds of kilometres away from other kids. Ask any psychiatrist. The second he'd said it, he wished he hadn't, especially when he saw the sadness in Mum's face. But he's so old and grubby, said Mum. It's not dirt, said Jake. He pointed to Crusher's furry biceps. They're tattoos. That one's a skull with a snake coming out the eyes, and that one's a lobster with a machine gun. Suddenly Mum was hugging him. I'm sorry, she whispered, and he knew she wasn't just talking about calling Crusher grubby. She was talking about the island and their whole lives. Trouble was, it didn't change anything. His life was still a nightmare, and neither Mum nor Dad could do anything about it. Chapter 2 Mum didn't mean to hurt your feelings, said Jake, propping Crusher up on the kitchen bench next to the blender. She and Dad just get a bit thoughtless sometimes. It's the stress of running a small hotel, worrying about whether the guests are going to fight over the last breakfast sausage or wet the beds. Jake switched off the blender. He could see that Crusher understood. He could also see that Crusher thought he should have put the lid on the blender first. Sorry, said Jake, scraping a blob of pancake mix off Crusher's nose. Then Jake saw something through the kitchen window that made him drop the bread knife. A glimpse of something pink going down the cliff path. Jake stared. The salt crusted on the window made it hard to see clearly. It looked like a woman in a pink dress. Jake could hear Mum vacuuming upstairs, so it couldn't be her. It must be one of the guests. The woman must have climbed the wire fence with the sign on it that said, Danger, proceed at own risk. She obviously doesn't have a clue how much danger she's in, said Jake. 
I beg Dad to use the word death on that sign. Crusher looked as alarmed as Jake felt. Jake struggled to open the window. That's the trouble with 120-year-old guest houses, he thought, as his fingers gouged at the salt-swollen metal handle. Why couldn't Mum and Dad have bought a modern motel with aluminium window frames? Finally, the old handle surrendered with a squeak, and Jake pushed the window open. He opened his mouth to yell a warning. It was too late. The woman was already out of sight. Jake imagined her halfway down the cliff path, clambering towards the cave, probably clutching a picnic basket. There were probably other guests with her, loaded up with rugs and books and loaves of Dad's homemade olive bread, all totally unaware they were about to die. They'd never hear him, not even if he yelled as loud as he could, not with the waves crashing and the seagulls screeching. He had to move fast. When the tide turned and the cave suddenly filled with water, they'd be doomed, especially when they discovered Dad's olive bread didn't float. Jake could see what Crusher was thinking. Helicopter wire hangers. Hover low and hook the dopey mongrels out of the water. Good thought, said Jake, but it'd take too long. The wire hangers are upstairs and they're all tangled, and we haven't got a helicopter. Jake sprinted out of the kitchen and into the office. Dad, he gasped, quick, it's an emergency. Dad was sitting at his desk, hand in his jelly bean jar, staring mournfully at a bundle of bills. The guests are going down to the cave, panted Jake. It's nearly eleven. They'll get caught by the tide. Jake waited, jiggling on the spot, while Dad slowly stood up and looked out the window, which Jake knew was pointless as you couldn't even see the cave from here. Jake jiggled some more. Dad turned and put his hands on Jake's shoulders. Jake, he said in the calm voice he used when guests ran out of soap, don't fuss, mate. Our guests are grown adults. They're fully qualified optometrists. They've got university degrees. They'll be okay. They won't, Jake wanted to shout. They'll be underwater by 11.20. By 11.23, they'll never prescribe a pair of glasses again, not even to a jellyfish. He opened his mouth, but before he could get a word out, Dad continued. Our guests can look after themselves, said Dad. They've come here for their holiday because they want a few days without kids pestering them. Anyway, they won't have gone down to the cave, not after I warned them about it. But, spluttered Jake desperately, I saw... First rule of hotel management, said Dad, popping a jelly bean into Jake's mouth. If you start seeing things, get your eyes tested. The phone rang. Dad picked it up. Sunbeam House, he said. Adults only, island resort. Second rule of hotel management, thought Jake as he darted towards the door, desperately hoping he would get to the cave in time. Don't let the guests drown, especially when they're your only ones. He crashed into Mum, who was coming into the office with the bookings book and a worried look on her face. She frowned at Jake. Love, she said. Shouldn't we be switching the radio on for school? Mum, muttered Jake, it's the holidays. Right, she said distractedly. Sorry. Jake tried to slide past her, but she caught his elbow. She peered closely at him and wiped something off his forehead. Pancake batter, thought Jake, his heart sinking. I shouldn't have turned the blender up so high. Jake, sighed Mum, you haven't been assisting with the guests again, have you, love? Jake shook his head. Pancake batter wasn't assisting. Not when you were just experimenting to see if your Vegemite batter tasted better than Dad's seaweed batter. It's an emergency, said Jake. The optometrists have gone down to the cave. Look at the time. We appreciate you wanting to help. We really do, continued Mum. But you know you can't. Not for another few years. Exclusively for adults, 
Dad was saying into the phone. Sunbeam House is a sophisticated adults-only holiday hideaway. Children aren't accommodated here, so you can be sure of a nice, relaxing stay. Suddenly, Jake couldn't stand it any longer. They could all die, he yelled. Don't you care? Mum dropped the bookings book. Dad put his hand over the phone. Jake trembled as they both stared at him, faces darkening with anger. At least they were listening. Jake didn't mind being sent to his room when it was for a good cause, like saving four lives. He pressed his ear to the stone wall and tried to hear what was happening outside. The waves were rumbling faintly and the seagulls were going mental as usual, but as yet there were no other sounds. No rescued optometrists stumbling back up to the house, sobbing their thanks, recommending Jake get nominated for a junior heroism award, suggesting Dad use a bit more yeast in the olive bread. Or if there were, Jake couldn't hear them. I wish these walls were thinner, Jake said to Crusher, who'd given up trying to hear anything and was lying on the floor with his head in a pair of Jake's underpants. It must be fantastic living in a fibro house. Jake could tell from the position of Crusher's buttocks that he agreed. And it must be even more fantastic having a room with a window, thought Jake. That was the problem with cellar bedrooms. You couldn't see out. With a bit of luck, Crusher, he said, Mum and Dad will be so grateful we've saved their guests, they'll give us a bedroom upstairs. Suddenly the door swung open. Mum and Dad came in. They didn't look as though they were planning any bedroom changes. Their faces were so grim that for a moment Jake thought they'd got to the cave too late. Are the optometrists okay? he asked. The optometrists are fine, replied Dad in the voice he used when the meat supplier sent steak with bone chips in it. They're playing Monopoly by the pool. Have been for the last two hours. But, said Jake, I saw first rule of hotel management, growled Dad. Check your facts.